Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your co-host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. And coming to you from rural Virginia, I am J.P. Miller. Welcome to the show, guys and girls. Today is episode 112. JP 112, man, like uh, the double digits and, and counting man uh it's it's the end of march we've got march madness going on i mean the brackets are breaking all across the country which is man a good time of year from that standpoint if you're a hoop fan uh such as myself i know you are as well uh but man we got some wild stuff going on in the world do we not i mean we got yes we got all kinds of craziness we got we got banks uh, failing. We got money printing going on, which if anybody has been listening to the show for a long time, you know, I, I told you, I told you this is what's happening because that's how um, the whole system of economics works. And I don't care what our politicians get up and tell you about. It's how this stuff works. Um, they are absolutely lying to you. And having bank failures is not good. And they caused it. So, um, yeah, don't feel bad because uh, if you got hurt on that a little bit, because a lot of people did and it was no fault of their own. That is the powers that be doing some real bad stuff. Uh, Speaking of that, I mean, that's the other thing, right? Both presidents, uh, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you got Biden getting pinched for his dealings in China. We got uh, they're getting ready to arrest Trump in New York City. Like it's it's pretty crazy stuff right now, is it? I mean, it's just. It's nuts everywhere. I just, I don't know what the heck is going on. I try to just not even watch the news because it, it, nothing surprised me. And then half the time I can't believe it. It's like one minute it doesn't surprise me. And then I just can't believe what's next. So I just, that's I just pretty go accurate. about my day and, <laughs> and say the heck with it. <laughs> it's the absolute smart way to go about it, JP. That is absolutely the smart way because, I mean, how about, you know, in our time, we have both sides of the aisle presidents about ready to go to jail for what they did. I mean, it's it's insanity. So I think keeping your head down and just doing what you do is probably the smart thing at this point. I feel like they could just put that whole area, just <laughs> put a fence around it and make it a penitentiary and just leave them all in there because it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're a little closer to it than I am in Indianapolis, but... 
Yeah. So yeah. I, I would take your word for that for sure. Um, <laughs> the good news is, I mean, the, the really, the good news is that it's getting at least here in the Midwest. And I know where you're at JP as well. It is getting to the point where we're going to get to race a little bit. The weather's coming around, you know, it's time to, uh, you know, look at those cars, um, do the last bit of uh, prep work for them and get them out. Now, obviously, we've got some D2 folks that have done some damage down there already. But for the rest of the country, it is about go time. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting the, the weather. It seems like it's trying to break, hopefully. But, you know, that could that could all change tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I think it's supposed to warm up this week. I'm actually looking forward to trying to go somewhere if i can find somewhere to go this weekend and get the old crusher out and see if i can spin a wheel and see what we got so it kind of makes all things in the rest of the world go away i mean like that's the thing right we know it's crazy out in the world we know there's uh just complete chaos but man uh you you get in get yourself strapped in and life is good yeah i fired up last friday night uh and um they kind of got the juices flowing, got to smell a little race gas, make some noise, piss the neighbors off a little bit. So it, it was. <laughs> I was going to tell you, uh, the neighbors have been talking to me a little bit about that uh, action. So if you could clean that up, maybe before midnight, uh, that'd be really good, JP. Um, but uh, the, yeah, the good news is, man, when we get strapped in, if, if you're not focused on what that race car is doing, if you're not focused on everything that can uh, possibly go wrong, if you're worried about what our present or past presidents are doing or, you know, what central bankers are doing, you will get yourself into a world of hurt. And it, this is, it's what's good about our sport, man. It makes us focus and it, it brings some inner clarity to all of us. So, uh, I am fired up for you, and if things go well for me, I may get to uh, strap in and let go of a button here at some point this summer as well. So excited about that! Yeah, absolutely. I'm 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 ready. I can't wait to go do something somewhere. Right, right. It's been a long winter, huh? Yeah. The good news is for us is we have two great guests for our listeners today. Uh, first of all, we have McKenna Kitterman. She is the top dragster winner um, down at the World Series of Pro Mod in Bradenton a couple weeks ago. She won the top dragster class, 10 stacks to her. Uh, excited to hear um, you know, how that shook out for her. Um, really excited to have her on. And then Alex Stryler. He is a motorsports marketing and sponsorship guru. He's going to help you, uh, for those of you that are wanting a little extra jingle to put to your program, you need to listen to what Alex has to say because he's been there, done that, and I am really fired up to have him on. Um, so, JP, um, our our guys, our girls, they need to get to doing to whatever it is that they do when they listen to the show. Make the commute, clean the shop, work on that old heap, but metaphorically speaking, Get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's get this thing hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. And JP, talk about this week's hot topic. Interesting development, I would say, um, in terms of uh, the PDRA made a big announcement this past week in how they're going to uh, manage 
manage their their series this year and at least in at least early in the year their schedule um, maybe you can shed some light on that just because because PDRA has made a change it's a little bit different and it impacts the top sportsman and top dragster group significantly um, JP break it down for us basically PDRA announced this week that they are going to start qualifying for top sportsman and top dragster and I think maybe bracket bash I'm not 100% sure, but I know top sportsmen and top dragster are going to start qualifying on Thursday nights now. So your first Q1 will be Thursdays at 6.30, um, which is a bit of a change from what it had been. Uh, in the past, they, they qualified on Friday. Um, you usually got two sessions on Friday and then one more session Saturday morning. Um, Saturday morning session is completely going away, so you'll go straight into eliminations. Uh, It'll be Q1 on Thursday, Q2 and 3 on Friday, and Saturday you will go straight into eliminations. Um, I would say it was met with mixed reviews. Uh, Some guys were all for it. I'll say the majority of them guys don't run top sportsmen, but there were some top sportsmen guys that were, you know, were all for it. Uh, some other people had some reservations about it. Um, it kind of affects you if you're if you're a guy that you know that you work a a, a regular nine to five, and you know you kind of got to look at it as you feel like you got to be there a day early, which you don't have to take. You don't have to run in every qualifying pass, but I mean, in my opinion, I would think the Thursday night session will probably be the best session of the weekend. Uh, so we'll have to see how that shakes out. But it seems like they're moving everything forward, and um, I guess they're trying to they're trying to get the show, you know, done a little bit earlier and and make for a better show and not be so affected by weather. Um, I know there's a few times where they were, you know, they lost a couple qualifying sessions because of weather. Um, but I I got to honestly say, I don't know how this will affect their car count, but in my opinion, it's going to make it tough on, on some of the guys, you know, having to be there Thursday. Uh, if you look at it from a standpoint of like a guy like myself, I'm not a, you know, I, I'm not a front running car, you know, um, when I show up there, I'm just trying to get into the basically the back half. And if I miss what I think would be the quickest session of the weekend, it kind of, you know, that might be my one and only shot to be able to go fast enough to get in. Um, well, and it, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a significant change for our classes specifically. Maybe not for the Pro Mod guys. Maybe, not, you know, maybe not for – uh, some of the other classes, the heads up classes, but for our classes specifically, to your point, right? Um, if Thursday is the fastest session, I mean, just from a weather standpoint, you feel like you got to be there. Well, showing up at Thursday right before the gates close, waking up Friday morning and putting the stuff together doesn't cut it anymore. That that obviously is, isn't going to work from a timing standpoint. So it's significant in the fact that you, you've got people that maybe have to take more days off over the year um, and already making significant investments in their program to race a different series. Now, I don't know if it's right or wrong. Uh, Tyler and Tommy, they do a great job over there. They We know that what they do is primarily, you know, it. I mean, 
has made their series better over the last 10 years. I mean, we know we've spoke their praises a long, long time here. But it's a significant change for our classes specifically. And I know there's a few people that have just said, how am I going to do that from a logistics standpoint? And I think what I, you know, if I, if I'm sitting in Tyler's shoes, I think it's because they want a better show on Saturday. And that makes perfect sense, right? We want the fans to have a good show on Saturday. So do we make some sacrifices as racers, I suppose? But man, it's it's a significant sacrifice. I mean, and JP, I think you know it very well. Like that's that's another day off work for you that you have to take. So that's another eight vacation days that uh, your wife doesn't get when she wants to go to uh, Tahiti or wherever she wants to take you for vacations, right? Yeah, if, and especially if you, I mean, for me, I, I run very limited PDRA schedule anyway. But if I was looking at, you know running more i have to take all of this into consideration um for the guys that you know are trying to run the full tour you you obviously have to take all of this into consideration and and if you're coming from any distance you have to you have to you know take the travel into consideration i mean it's pretty much a it, to me it it, it kind of puts you in this lane where you're going to have to leave on wednesday mm-hmm. to get there um or you know leave early enough depending on where you're coming from leave early enough you know, on Thursday where you can get there and still be able to get in and get qualified. Like for somebody like me, say if I was to go to a race, say if I was to go to Galat upcoming race from from where I live in the distance to Galat, I could still work like a half a day that Thursday and make it down there and get in the gate and get parked. Well, now you pretty much have to take that whole Thursday because you need to get in there and get right. set up and be ready to qualify and you need to get teched and, you know, so it's a lot to it. And, and it's going to be a lot for people to think, think about. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, PDRA has the best for the series at nine when they did it. I just, I don't know how this is going to affect, you know, some of the guys that would, I guess you would say some of the, I don't even know if you say lower budget top sportsman teams or how you say it, but I I, I think it's going to have some kind of effect on on these people because it's like I said, it's extra travel, it's extra days off, and when you start looking at planning vacations and family time, and you know, then it's you know, are we cutting out everything we do with the family outside of racing to sacrifice for this? Is that is that going to be a question that some people have to answer? So I right. guess time will tell, and, and we'll see how how this how this all shakes out over the summer. But this, right now, this is their plan, and this is the schedule that they're sticking to for the for the foreseeable future for the summer. So yeah, and I mean, and it has to. It's a significant change. It's going to change it in some way. Maybe you know, maybe that's um, specifically by design. I mean, they do get a lot of top sportsmen and a lot of top dragster cars. Maybe, you know, in their mind, uh, a few less would be okay for the show. Um, obviously, you and I are going to disagree with that. We're going <laughs> to we're going to take uh, the standpoint yeah. that that's uh, that's the wrong way to do it. But but we don't know. Uh, we're, we're not on the I mean, I'm, I'd also say this. I'm sure Tyler will come on and explain the, the decision at some point. He'll, he's not afraid of that. He made it for a reason. He looked at the positives and negatives. But but from our standpoint, it's significant. It changes things. I hope it doesn't reduce their car count specifically in our classes because I think top sportsmen and top dragster are significant in 
helping that series and helping a lot of series, actually. I think they would be helped in a lot of series um, from that standpoint. So I hope it doesn't hinder them at all. Um, but I guess we'll find out. I mean, that that's yeah. the whole thing. And, and sometimes you got to try stuff. I mean, you just got to go, hey, we're going to try it and see what happens. I mean, the... I'm not accusing anybody of trying, you know, saying you shouldn't try something new. They've been doing it for 10 years. Maybe they're, you know, trying to tweak and do all this stuff. And sometimes you just got to figure it out. Right. And I, I mean, for me, I just, if I'm looking at it from a promoter standpoint, if I'm getting 70 plus cars, <laughs> you know, in each class or whatever, I don't know that I want to, I don't know that I want to do anything that would, that might deter from that. Um, but you know, that's, you know, that's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, this is where producer Chris something. would be playing. Don't rock the boat behind us. I mean, that's, you know, that's <laughs> the thing, but yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's uh I think there's value in consistency and there's value in tweaking and trying to, you know, turn the screws and try to make it even that much better. All right, let's put this thing in the beams with our guest this week, who is just coming off a huge win at the World Series of Pro Mod. She is the top dragster winner, 10K in the winner circle for her. She's from Lakeland, Florida. She's a senior at the University of Central Florida. Please welcome to the show, McKenna Kitterman. McKenna, what is happening? Hi, how are you guys? Good. We're, we're good. We're not as good as you, though. I mean, we didn't get to park it in the winter circle and cash the big check like you did in Bradenton a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it was honestly so surreal and one of the best moments of my racing career so far. It was incredible. Yeah, well, obviously it was a it was a big, big win. But why don't you take us back and talk us uh, through how you got started in this and how you got to this moment? Absolutely. So um, I started when I was 12 years old. So coming up on my 10 year mark, which is kind of crazy. But um, I started in juniors. And it was just a weekend that I was spending with my dad. And he took me out to the track and we saw the juniors and, you know, I fell in love with it. And then he was asking me, you know, is this something that you want to do? And I could not pass up the opportunity. I mean, what little kid doesn't want to drive a race car? So um, that was kind of the start and end of it all. He had a car built for me, and I started racing the junior until I aged out. And then when I was around 16 or 17, I got into a top dragster, which was, like, absolutely insane and incredible and so much fun. Uh, I was going in that for probably, like, a year or two before my car actually broke one weekend, and my dad's car was available and he asked me if I was comfortable racing it and I was like absolutely it's faster it's so much cooler <laughs> and it's so fun so I got in it that weekend and haven't gotten out <laughs> man that sounds like a tale as old as time uh does it JP like you know dad's like hey you want to you want to drive this thing yeah yeah all of a sudden dad out of a job that's how it <laughs> always starts um that's how it always starts. The dad puts the, puts the kid in the car and, and and inadvertently loses the ride. Man, it happens. Well, well done, McKenna. I mean, that's that's how it's supposed to be done. Like when you see your opportunity, you are supposed to kick open the door. So nicely done. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Um, well, tell us a little about this car that you were driving. This is your dad's car, you said, uh, but but you've you've uh, taken over duties, uh, driving duties for sure. But tell us a little bit about the car. Um, yeah, so he originally raced it in the Open Outlaw class in Bradenton, which was a heads-up class, and then they got rid of it. So we've been running it in the bracket class since I got in. It's a 2014 M&M chassis. It's 245 cubic inches, aluminum Brodix block heads, aluminum Brodix block, um, 1471 blower, Brucey transmission, all carbon fiber body, seat pan, engine pan, transmission pan, and wing. Um, the motor was built by Danny Joe Mountain from M&M. And let's see. It's, we haven't put it on a dyno or anything, but we, based on the engine components, we think it's approximately 2,900 horsepower. And it can run four O's, but we set it up to one, run what the track will handle on race day. So that's usually like 430. I think that's what you were dialed in on race day down there, right? You were kind of had a 430 package. Yeah, yeah. Usually on regular brackets, they're not prepping the track as well. So I'll usually run higher 430s, 440s. But we knew that this was a big race and there was going to be lots of fast cars. So we dialed it up a little bit and I hooked up and got track underneath me. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that uh, well, it's always a lot of fun when you win, right, McKenna? I mean, that's that's. Oh, uh, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, yeah, talk us through talk us through the weekend a little bit because it was different, right? The World Series of Pro Mod was a different event in terms of there was excitement in the air um, as soon as people stepped on the property for you know obviously the Pro Mod show, but. I think there was also that excitement in the air for the top dragster class because it was it was ten grand to win. That's a that's a nice check at the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, it is always so cool to see a ton of people at the track getting excited, and there were more spectators there that weekend than I think I've ever seen there, which was awesome and so much fun. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was really cool to be able to turn the car up and let it do what it wanted to do because we knew the track was going to be good. And, um, you know, everyone is just so friendly. I'm sure you know everyone in the racing community is just a great big family. Everyone wants to help each other out, and it's just a really good place to be. And that weekend, you know, there was a lot of waiting time. There was some weather issues, and we were out there for, you know, days trying to test and qualify and this and that. But overall, the weekend, I mean, we couldn't have asked for a greater program or a promoter. It was just a great weekend all around. Yeah, Bradenton's your home track, right? So you you had a pretty good feel yeah. for that um, going in. Yeah, that definitely helps. I think being familiar with the track, and that's where I, you know, I've done most of my racing for my whole career, honestly. So it was really cool to see such a big event and such a big turnout at my home track for sure. Yeah, there was. Um, you mentioned the weather. Um, it something I had not ever seen in my years of going to the drag strip. Um, is there was really kind of a sandstorm on Friday. Like it was, uh, I mean, it was 50 mile an hour winds. There was sand and dirt mm -hmm. blowing everywhere. Um, so kudos to the crew for getting the, the track back and ready. But, you know, I've sat through rain. I've sat through some snow, et cetera. But I've never sat through a sandstorm before. So it was, uh, <laughs> you mentioned the weather. Yeah. It was just a little bit different weather than I've ever seen before. Yeah, me too. That was, I mean, really abnormal for us, honestly. It was kind of crazy there was sand covering all the cars and the pits and I mean as you know the race was held off for a while we didn't even make a run that night because we knew that there was going to be sand shaking mm -hmm. off the cars and I know I heard some of uh, the other racers had to let out because 
you know, the cars that were sitting in the pits took off sand when they were trying to go down, and then the next car would go and wouldn't stick. So, but yeah. they got it pulled together pretty well, it sounded like. So, and it was all good for the next day. So, grateful for that. Yeah. So, so uh, walk us through then. So, you, you pass on Friday night uh, qualifying. Mm-hmm. So, you just say, hey, look, we're, we like our setup. Let's, let's get up on Saturday and, and qualify this thing and get it going, right? Yeah, absolutely. How did how did the first um, round on on Saturday? How did that feel? Did it um, did did you have a clean pass and did you did you feel good about it or did you have some work to do after the first pass on Saturday? Um, honestly, we didn't really touch the car the whole weekend. It was running really well. The track was great. Conditions were good. We had data from the previous race that we had turned the car up to what it was. We wanted it to be at this one, and so we kind of just let it do its thing. It was happy where it was at. The track was good. I guess I was good that day, apparently. I have the best crew ever. And so, yeah, we didn't really have any issues at all, praise God. And it was just kind of weirdly smooth weekend where we didn't have any upsets. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's how it's supposed to be done, right? You just, you go, no, we didn't right. touch the car. We just, <laughs> we just drove it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you mentioned your crew. Um, walk us through who all shows up at the track with you because um, we noticed that as well. We noticed the crew there as well. So talk us about who who all comes, helps, and make sure your program is run smoothly on race day. Well, obviously my dad is my crew chief, number one supporter, number one cheerleader, and all the rest. Um, he's there for every single race, and he's you know the main guy who makes sure everything is good for me. He, we have our little routine, you know, going in, he buckles me in every time. And, um, he does most of the work on the car, but honestly, everyone out there that calls Bradenton their home track and that I've grew up racing with, uh, helps out in whatever way they can all the time. Uh, the Logans, I'm sure, you know, the Logan family, um, who are out there all the time, Ronnie and Don and their two sons that race, um, Travis and Austin and um, just all the races out there. Michael Carpenter helps us out a lot. Um, Gage Birch, you know, anyone who really, if we need help, is always out there to help. So, yeah, I know uh, Gage was running around there that weekend. Um, and uh, was he, he helpful? He's obviously parked it in the winter circle plenty of times. Was he, was he helpful to you? Oh, yeah, he's a great racer. I mean, we kind of, I was a little bit younger than him, the juniors, but we kind of grew up racing around the same races. And, you know, my dad's helped him with some stuff. He has helped my dad in turn and, you know, everyone's just a big family out there. So it's super cool. Yeah. Well, you, you got it done for $10,000. Talk us through, you know, what it was like when you realized you're going to the finals, you're going to have a chance to win the way, um, and it was it was um, all or nothing, right? There was nothing for second place, so there was there was a big deal to win this thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of crazy the whole weekend or the whole day. I was kind of just, like, doing my thing, having a good time, you know, enjoying all the other cars and all the spectators. And I was obviously taking it seriously, but at the same time, it was just a really fun weekend. I wasn't, you know, putting a lot of pressure on myself or – stressing myself out and I find that I do better when I race that way and I have a good mindset and you know whatever happens happens and um yeah and then so when I was starting to get down to rounds I was like 
kind of just happy with whatever, you know, if I, I made it to the semis and I was like, well, I had a great day, you know, if this is it, then I'm happy with it and I've done all that I can do. And then I saw that wind light turn on in the final and I was like, there's no way, like, that's crazy. Um, but it was just a really, I mean, I was lucky when I needed to be lucky and good when I needed to be good. And um, my dad always says I never drive faster than my angels can fly. So it was just a really good day. <laughs> uh, that's uh, a great way of putting it. And uh, so was there any talk in the final of, of splitting it a little bit? Or was it just like, hey, there's $10,000. Let's let's give it to the person with the last win light. Yeah. So um, Donnie Tolofano, who was my opponent, came over before the final and he's talking about a split. And so we agreed on a 70-30 split. And he said, you know, I'd be happy with three. And I was like, yeah, I'd be happy with three, too. So <laughs> it worked out. There Everyone was happy, and it was amicable and mutual, yeah. So, Yeah, um, if you're an IRS agent watching this or listening to this, forget everything McKenna just said. But everybody, <laughs> for everybody else, right. that's how it shook now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how, good. How did you uh, – you said uh, you had a little bit longer uh, wait time between rounds. How did, you, how did you keep your focus, or were you just kind of, you know, watching the other cars, watching the pro mods and stuff, just kind of hanging out? I guess uh, that being your home track and you having data that kind of played into your hands so you had a little bit of advantage as opposed to some of your competitors. Yeah, that definitely helped. Um, there was a lot of time between rounds because there was just so many cars and um, they were did a really good job of getting the program done. But I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I watched the cars go down. I love watching racing and why I do it. So, you know, spending my time watching it and encouraging everybody and, just hanging out with all my racing family and then when it gets closer you kind of start looking at your past tickets and the data and seeing what the weather's looking like and what's going on so a little bit of both you know you got to have some balance in there it's fun but there's also some work but you can't forget the fun part it's a great point you got to keep it fun and it's hard it's right it's hard when you're you're going late in rounds and you're you're thinking to yourself i've worked very hard to put myself in this position and it's hard to uh, kind of relax, but you, you absolutely did it and executed perfectly. You, um, you would, you no doubt did not know this, but JP and I were up in the tower and we called the quarterfinals. Um, it was the first time that JP and I have been um, actually in the booth and calling the race. And we called the quarterfinals for top dragster and we were, singing your praises you probably there's probably no Aww. way you know this but we were singing your praise and you've got you've got an absolutely gorgeous car too um so it was yeah. it was oh, fun to root you. for but for well that's awesome i appreciate it yeah it was uh on a side note <laughs> bradenson called me and told me that i can't even come in the tower anymore if i come back down there no. <laughs> 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 but uh, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> That's right. No, Al Tucci was very nice and uh, forfeited the microphone for a short period and let us let us call the quarterfinals, which was a lot of fun. But uh, and I don't remember McKenna. I just I remember thinking uh, that was a good light. She ran a good race. She's got a chance in this thing, and and that's when in my mind I was like, oh, I think I think she's got a chance there. Was there a time in your mind, or was it not until after the the you went through the through the stripe there um, in the final? Um, honestly, I think it can be anyone's race. You know, there's really good racers out there, but it can be anyone's day. When it's your day, it's your day. You know, if you're 
hitting the lights good and your car is running good and you're doing good, then, you know, that's great. But at the end of the day, you're just racing yourself and you're doing the best that you can no matter who's next to you. So I think it's fair game for anyone who goes up there. So that's kind of the mindset that I like to keep. JP, that's spoken like a pro. Like, I mean, that was oh, yeah. what you just said there, McKenna, was uh, just like a pro. Now, but I also know that you're, you, I mean, you're young. You said you're in you're in college, right? You're a senior at University of Central Florida. Tell our listeners, um, you know, what your major's in and what you're going to do after college. Yeah, so um, I'm in the honors program at UCF in Orlando, and I'm majoring in kinesiology, which is basically just a fancy word for the study of movement. Um, and I'm going to the University of Southern California in the fall to get my doctorate in occupational therapy. So that's a three-year program, and after that, I'll hopefully be practicing and maybe specializing in peds. We'll see, but I've always loved kids, so that's kind of where I think my heart's at. Fantastic stuff, and you're absolutely living life on easy mode, McKenna. Uh, Central Florida, <laughs> Southern California, man, uh, we should all be so savvy as you are to to choose where we go to school and live. So nicely done from that standpoint. But also, and more importantly, nicely done getting the big dub at the World Series of Promot in Top Dragster. Just a fantastic showing and um, really uh, just exceptional all weekend long. So congrats to you and your entire team. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, you know, I couldn't be more grateful or more blessed to be here. So before we let you, yeah, before we let you go, what's, what's the rest of your schedule look like this summer? What, uh, before you go off to, to grad school, what, what's your schedule look like this summer? Mostly um, at Bradenton or you travel a little bit? How's that work? Um, I, this will be the first summer that I'm not taking classes, so I would love to travel as much as I can, but, um, we shall see. I've got a race coming up this weekend in Bradenton and I'll be racing as much as I can, but we'll see. Who knows? Well, you've got a little extra jingle in your pocket to do that if you want. So, uh, nicely done <laughs> and good luck to you the rest of the season. Um, but appreciate you coming on. Um, and, and again, congrats on just a heck of a weekend down in Bradenton, um, at the world series of pro mod. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to be here and I appreciate the both of you, JP and Rex. It's been so much fun and I look forward to hopefully working with you guys in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, keep winning. That's we'll keep, you'll be, we'll keep bringing you back on. That's right. Just keep winning, McKenna. That's all you got to do. Come on, just win and <laughs> yeah, then come on back. <laughs> That's all you got to do. <laughs> no. Guys, girls, that was the great McKenna Kitterman, if you need her. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. For all your high-horsepower legal needs, call Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. JP, we've had some action now. I mean, we're in March, so we've got to get you caught up on the March action. There was some racing in late February, and that's good. Um, we we talked a little bit about that, but let's get all our listeners caught up on the action that happened in March so far, and it's all the NHRA. It is um, starting the first week um, in March down in Gainesville. We we had what was you know the affectionately referred to as the Baby Gators, 
and really that what a great event that was i mean that was um on the top dragster side they had 33 cars show up so um, we were going to get a full field your number one qualifier Longtime standout, Steve Furr goes 6'11 with a 7 at 228 miles an hour for the top spot. But your winner is Jeff Strickland over Vance Houston in the final. Sticker Punk goes double o four on the tree and leads Vance through by 8 ten thousandths of a second for his 28th Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. Um, pretty impressive uh, start to the season by Jeff Strickland. Um, done it at a very high level for a long time. And, man, just showing what skill set he has on the you know, beginning of the track and at the top end of the track. I mean, very, very impressive way to start the start the year in the final for Jeff Strickland. Nicely done for him. Yeah, it's a real nice lap to, to pick up the win. Um Put, put together a really nice one right there. I mean, nails go 004 and then whew, on the top end. Um, the top sportsman side was just as good, JP. There were 36 cars. So um, not a, I mean, you know, it's a pretty good field. Um, the bump spot was a 762. So, uh, you know, plenty of room to get in there. But 36 cars is a nice start to the season. So that was good. Your number one qualifier Familiar face at the top spot, Darian Bosch. He goes 620 with a 2 at 229 miles an hour. Um, absolutely loaded for bear again this season. Darian Bosch comes out with a vengeance in the top spot there. But your winner is Rich Smith over John Benoit. Two guys that have been doing it. Uh, Benoit with a reaction time advantage, but Smith is a dead on 2 for the win. His fourth Wally, um, Rich makes the trip from Missouri down to Florida and gets it done. He's got a very pretty, very pretty uh, blue first-gen Camaro that personally I really, really like, JP. So uh, nice to see Rich get a win and uh, start the season off there. Um, after, yeah, nice done. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, and talk about guys that are, uh, I mean, it seemed like that was really loaded up. I mean, 33 cars in top dragster, 36 cars in top sportsman. Um, you know, but it was, that, it's a good field, right? To start the season. Oh, yeah, real good field. Good to see John Benoit back out, too. Uh, I think he had, had that was dealing with some health issues, if, I'm, if I can remember correctly. So good to see him back out getting after it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very good for the top sportsman class in general to have John out there. So, And my understanding yeah. is that he's going to run a full season this year, so uh, really excited about that for him. Yeah. Um, then, then, of course, then um, the top sportsman guys got to stay there, and they got to run the national event the week later in HRA for the Gator Nationals. There were 32 cars and top sportsmen that lined up. Your number one qualifier was Lester Johnson. He goes 634 at 228 miles an hour for the top spot. But your winner was Doug Crumlich over Mark Buring. Crummy taking seven inches at the stripe for the W, getting it done. Um, that was an amazing piece of work. 200 plus miles an hour at the stripe, taking it by seven inches. JP Crummy uh, coming from the West Coast, moving to the East Coast, and and showing everybody that um, maybe they would like to uh, 
assault his realtor, you know, put him back on the West Coast a little bit because, <laughs> send him, man, send him, send, send him back. Send him back out West. Right. Yeah, he's over here doing that to people. I mean, he's definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with. So, Well, and we haven't even gotten to it really yet, JP. So here's what happened. So then last weekend, uh, the whole crew goes north to South Georgia Motorsports Park for another Division Two episode. Um, on the top dragster side, there were 27 cars. Guess what? Steve Furr uh, goes number one again. He's 612 with a five at 228 miles an hour for that top spot. Kind of owning that number one spot there. But your winner and top dragster is Scott Gibson over Clint Riley. Gibson, 003, dead four, seven pack total. So that, that means it's, it's over before it starts for Clint Riley. Um, so Gibson gets the win light and yeah. his second Wally of the year. I mean, just an amazing run to go seven total in the final. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's ice water right there. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if you're Clint Riley, <laughs> just go. All right, let's let's load this thing up and uh, you know go. That thank you for coming. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's only so much you can do, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So nicely done, Scott Gibson. Um, and then on the top sportsman side there are 18 cars that show up to south georgia motorsports park dylan stott goes number one in his 23 mustang so a, a brand new car he goes 657 with a nine and he was just goofing around there because he goes 169 miles an hour for that top spot so uh clearly had a, uh, more in it like let out somewhere along the line so um Dylan Scott still gets a number one spot there. But in the final round, guess who it is, JP? Doug Crumlich <laughs> over James Hinkle. And Crummy is just, he's ridiculous here. He goes 006 on the tree uh, just in case Hinkle goes 002 green, but Hinkle is on the other side of it. He goes 002 red. Uh, so, so Crummy gets his second win light. In a couple weeks, and his seventh uh, Lucas Oil uh, Drag Racing Series Wally, his second win in a couple weeks. Uh, I mean, Kermit coming to the East Coast and throwing down. I mean, absolutely throwing down. I mean, he's saying, hey, I moved across the country for a reason, and y'all are in trouble. Yeah, he is definitely getting his season started off right and definitely came to play. Must have scared the other top sportsman cars off from the week before. <laughs> no. Well, and here's a guy, you know, at, first of all, Doug Crumlich is a good dude. I mean, he he's not just a good dude. He's one of those guys where I say, if you've got a problem with him, the problem is you. It's not him. Right. And uh, But, you know, here's a guy who has made a run at the national championship before, but had uh, some, you know, just some, logistical challenges being on the west coast and some of the the hauls you have to make out there to make it happen so you just wonder if now that he's settled in somewhere in georgia i can't remember exactly i feel like he's in georgia somewhere but uh you know kind of in the mix now where the travel isn't quite so much he can cover some of these i feel like he could really make a run at the top sports and national championship here well, no better way to do it than to start off with two back-to-back -back wins. So, if if that's any indication, uh, it's probably going to be a pretty good season for him, and he'll definitely be a force to be reckoned with in top sports. Yeah, we probably should get him on and let him talk through those a little bit because, 
man, uh, he, or we should just shut up and let his role continue, right? Just let him, let him keep rolling. And, uh, sometimes when you're in a zone, you just need to keep rolling. So, uh, congrats to Doug Crumlich for just making a mockery of, uh, top sportsman here the last couple weekends. Yeah, absolutely. Great job. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for just one minute and bring on our guest who is really um, a, a really heavy hitter, a guru in the motorsports marketing and sponsorship space. Um, Alex Stryler is the author of best-selling motorsports marketing and sponsorship book. He has spent over 20 years issuing and selling sponsorships in action sports, motorsports, and television. He's raised money for championship off-road racing until uh, 2008 and was the director of sales and marketing of Lucas Oil Motorsports Marketing Division. That team Lucas, if you will, until 2019. Alex Stryler has hosted PRI's annual education seminar on sponsorships since 2016. He's amazing at that. And he focuses on the business of sponsorship. During COVID, he began hosting online webinars and virtual summits to educate attendees on what brands want from sponsorships, how to generate value, how to create decks that attract attention, and how to write proposals that sell. And he is hosting the 2023 Drag Racing Sponsorship Summit next Tuesday, March 28th. So we wanted to have him on. So Alex Stryler, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks, Rex. I really appreciate it. JP, how are you? All right, I'm doing good. Doing good. Right on. Right Alex, on. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. Well, I will say this. Both JP and myself have been, you know, we've we've attended your summits before in the past and really gained a lot out of it. So when we, you know, we're all about helping our folks in these classes get better, improve their programs. And when you said, hey, I've got a minute to talk to you, we jumped on it and said, hey, how do we get you on? Um, so I really appreciate your time because you've done it all, really. You've done it all from both uh, raising money um, from a circuit side. You've managed it and looked at decks from the other side. Um, you, you've really been the 360 version of this. But let's go way back. How did, how did you get into the motorsport side of this thing, Alex? You know, that's a great story. Uh, I, I started out as an investment banker and made a little money, started my own business, and that lasted about five years. It didn't work real well. It blew up. So I had to start all over. I ended up as the president of an action sports shoe brand. It's called Osiris Shoes. And at Osiris, we were sponsoring a lot of different uh, athletes, mostly X Games athletes, action sports, uh, primarily surfing, skateboarding, a little bit of BMX. It started to get into rally and then freestyle motocross. And at one point, I think we had 38 athletes that we were giving sponsorships to. And they would come to us and ask for money, you know, hey, I'll give you exposure if you give me money. And back in those days, the early to mid-2000s, that was kind of the way it went. And then, uh, coincidentally, a friend of mine from college, he went over and started working for a gentleman who purchased um, championship off-road racing, which was a off-road dirt racing, short course dirt racing series. And he said, hey, Alex, come over and work with us. You know, we're going to build this series into something huge, kind of put it on NBC and get it all over TV. And I wasn't really interested at the time. And then uh, he gave me a sales pitch. He said, well, you know, 
Dale Earnhardt Jr. made $25 million bucks last year from sponsorships, and we want to raise money from sponsors. And then I started doing the math. That was like, you know, very close to the sales of the company that I was working for, annual revenue. So if one guy, one racer was making as much as the entire company. Like, right. Hmm. Now, this is interesting. There's some money there. But uh, I went and I visited, and it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I have to say, when I, when I went to the races, I was hooked immediately. That was around 2004. So fast forward, 2005, I ended up leaving and joining. And that was championship off-road racing called Core back then. I worked with Core a little bit on the sponsorship side, a little bit on the marketing side. And then as the series grew, we started really getting into the bigger sponsorships. Core was a casualty of the 2008 uh, economy mm. collapse when, when uh, it turns out the, the owner was funded by Lehman Brothers. Oh. When Lehman Brothers went, went belly up, he lost his line of credit and core folded. So I wrote a book at that time um, that was called Explanation of Action Sports. It was an explanation of the action sports industry to try to build awareness. And that was uh, read by someone over at Lucas Oil named uh, Bob Patterson. Bob Patterson, who was running Lucas at the time, read the book, called me up and said, hey, how'd you like to work for us? And uh, so I did, I went over. I ended up with Lucas Oil for almost a decade. Worked there until about 2019 as part of the Team Lucas group which was the Team Lucas's Motorsports Marketing Division. Lucas Oil, at the time, owned and operated, I want to say it was eight different racing series, everything from off-road to pro pulling to sprint cars, drag boats, and you know, had the, the Lucas Oil Speedway in Wheatland, Missouri, mm-hmm. sponsored a whole bunch of drag racers, including Morgan, as you guys know, and that got me started in the, the multi-sports, multi-motorsports versus just uh, off-road. So when um, COVID hit and there was nothing to sell, and Lucas moved to Indianapolis, I stayed here in San Diego. There was nothing to sell back when COVID hit, so I started educating racers on what I learned on how to get sponsored. And from there, I'm just kind of growing it, trying to share the love and spread the word. Yeah, that's uh, well, and I will tell you this. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that JP and I have both sat in your seminars. We've learned, like, what I've learned more about the process, um, than hearing anybody else than, you know, that I, and I've, I've seen a lot of these things, truthfully, Alex, but, um, but you, you really do a great job of explaining the process to this. And, and I think that's really valuable for, for really anybody that is wanting to raise money for their program, but specifically for people that maybe don't have, um, you know, they're not on uh, national TV every week. Right. Well, you know, yeah, everything's changed. Ten years ago, even 15 years ago, when I was doing it with Lucas and, and prior to that core, it was about exposure. We would sell exposure. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll put your banners on the track. Or if we were helping a team out, we would sell the, the helmet, the race suit in their car and hope that a company wanted to come in and gain the visibility from the exposure that that driver got perhaps winning or maybe being in the media. A lot of drivers bought their own media. But things have changed, and since COVID, everything has changed. I mean, we've done a complete 180 in terms of what has value to companies. You know, I, I'm 57, so I grew up in a physical world. Tangible assets meant a lot. Logos, livery, banners, flags, your, the, the graphics on your suit and your helmet and posters. That actually had a lot of value in a physical world. But my children have four now, and they're growing up in both a physical and a digital world. And in the digital world, it's not about the physical assets anymore. It's about digital assets. And t- 
tangible assets are in the physical world, intangible assets are in your digital world, where tangible assets can have a value and a price, the intangibles can be priceless. And the digital world is also endless. So if you can promote and market online, you're reaching a younger generation and you can reach them forever. And that's now what sponsors and companies are looking for. The marketing directors, there's been a huge shift lately, just in the past five or so years, where marketing directors are now looking for quote-unquote influencers. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, you don't have to be an athlete to be an influencer anymore. Anybody can be an influencer. You just need a thumb. You need a thumb to hit record, a thumb to hit upload, and a thumb to hit share. So, you know, my mom could be an influencer if she wanted to. She's not, but she could be. So the good news is for a lot of racers and drivers and teams is if they're not making the podium every week or when they're racing, if they're not getting that natural publicity in the tangible media online, let's say, or let's say in magazines, um, on the radio, you know, if you're not getting the PA announcements, you're not on television, most aren't, um, you can still really create a lot of value through your intangibles and you can do it digitally. We're in a world where there's an electronic highway now that connects every company's front door to every consumer's front door. You and I and everybody on this call, everybody listening, we're all connected electronically, but we're, we're separated by doors, you know, usually a firewall. What happens when you come knocking on that door? When someone sends me an email or a direct message or, you know, I get a, any kind of a message from a stranger, I usually don't look at it or pick it up or open it. But if you're familiar with who's sending it to you, there's that level of trust, then you open the door, you open the email, you accept the message. And so as a racer, as a brand ambassador, your goal now is no longer to spam and send out thousands of messages and logos everywhere, but it's to create those connections that open doors for sponsors. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, sponsors pay for it. It's yeah. a different world. It's a whole new world. Right, right. And if you're... you think about it. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no. if, if you think about it from a company's perspective, and that's it's what I try to teach now, is, you know, with, when I was with Core and Lucas Oil, there's obviously businesses, our business purpose is to grow, and you do that through profits, through revenue. Well, revenue is quantity sold times price. So most companies market to increase quantity sold. The more they market, the more product they hope to sell, obviously. Well, think about it like this. If you can't sell more products, because there's a lot of competition and, you know, it's just the physical world is limited. You can always increase revenue by raising your prices. That's right. You can make revenue go up for a company if you can increase the brand value and the brand equity. And that, again, is intangible because your intangibles are priceless. They're not limited to a physical thing, a physical visibility. But um, your reputation, your integrity, those are priceless. If, if a driver can attach their reputation and integrity and their, their persona to a brand that's relatively unknown, then that brand can increase their prices, which increases revenue, even if they're not selling more product. And that's something that a lot of drivers don't see. And teams don't think that way sometimes. A lot of that I work with, they, they're always thinking, I need to give them visibility and exposure and try to increase sales. Well, the goal is to increase revenue. And right. revenue now is also, it's physical yeah. and it's non-physical. The companies are making a lot of money and doing a lot of marketing in the digital world. Um, we're in a creator economy, and everybody out there can be a creator. Everybody. 
everybody out there can be a creator. I don't know if we want you know, everybody being a creator, Alex, but you're right. Everybody can be a, a creator. <laughs> yeah, really. That's true. Well, the, the, the quality of that, I think, is what's really important. So it's more important, in my opinion, to post and to create compelling, high-quality, really good content than a lot of content. Because yeah. think about it like this. In the digital world, that we, we live in this irony, if you think about it, because the more you post and the longer your posts are online or on, in the digital world, the more it resides you know, out in the hyperspace somewhere, the more people can see it. And the goal for a lot of companies is even brand ambassadors and athletes who post content is they want more and more followers, more and more people to see their stuff, but they're posting all this media. So the irony is you have more and more people seeing older and older content. Think about it like this. Mm. More and more people are seeing older and older content. So now your brand appears older to them. Your image, a company's image appears older. So instead of promoting prices and products and promotions, which will obviously expire and go outdated, you should be promoting values because values are timeless. Mm. The value of a company today could be the same as the value in 20, 30, 40 years. Think of some high-end names. Think of some company like Nike has values. Porsche has values. They, if, if you're promoting online, stop promoting products and prices, which will expire, and promote values, which are timeless. And then you have more and more people seeing more equity content and branding value, which then increases your long-term value and those companies that you associate with. There's a lot of ways to create value today, but a lot of ways, but uh, many posts to a lot of people always showing a product in one hand or a promotion, you know, in text, that's not the way to do it anymore. And, and that's the way, unfortunately, a lot of drivers are taught to do it through the media um, because that's what they think today is what's most important, but it really isn't. If you want to create long-term value, you want to show your long-term intangibles and build those so that it adds to the equity value of your own brand and the brand of your your partners, your marketing partners. It's it's kind of a fascinating conversation. We, I think JP and I both could have this conversation go on for hours because I, I really do think that's fascinating. I mean, to your point, um, I think that's a good world for us. That it's I mean, by like let's say you have drivers in the winner circle and instead of them just rambling off all their sponsors. Um, if they're talking about, you know, what their values are, and those are better conversations in the winner circle than just a, a driver listing off their sponsors, right? And it, it sounds is, like it, we're getting to that point. It, it is, but also, and, and yes, but different companies have different value sets. So what, what a, let's say, a retailer defines as value may not be the same value that a manufacturer has or a food company. I'll give you an example Retail stores want what? Well, they want foot traffic into their store or they want people to go onto their website to buy something. Whereas a manufacturer, they want to prove functionality. They want to prove that they're the best product among all their competitors. Food companies, on the other hand, like let's say beverages, Monster Energy and the drinks, mm -hmm. they're not really looking. They're, they're not looking for the same thing a retailer is or a manufacturer. They're looking for sampling. How many of us go and buy a strange food or drink that we've never tasted before? Nobody. So they want sampling. Service provider, like insurance company, let's say, 
they want leads and they want to make they want you to feel good about their brand because nobody wants to buy insurance so if you can make Geico fun and happy and you know make people laugh then it makes them feel good about the, the brand now that all that being said is you know big companies they often want to bring customers back who might have migrated to a competitor so they want hospitality that has a lot of value to them take out their buyers take out their VIPs take out big customers and that kind of value can be created through racing really easily. Now, the small companies, a new brand, a startup, they do want exposure. So, yes, in that case, I, I take back what I said about exposure not having value. Small companies want and love exposure. Problem is they don't have any money. So you're just going to get a bunch of free products and maybe T-shirts right. from them. So there's this irony of, of you know, what a company wants versus what you're going to get. I'm trying to help racers raise money. So the summits that I'm doing, and right now um, I'm working on the drag racing summit with Megan Meyer. She's done a great job putting it together. Our job and our goal is to create a sort of like a, um, a three-hour online course, not, not really course, but a three-hour online summit, let's say, that teaches drivers how to create value for the brands that might have money to spend on them um, in this new world that we're in, both physical and digital. So the value will come from tangible assets as well as intangible assets. Mm -hmm. Different companies have different needs. And so by knowing who you're targeting, you can try to create value for them. The important important part is to know why does a brand sponsor or why do they market? Because as a racer, you're becoming an extension of their marketing arm. You're not a hired athlete to race and throw your logo on, on your car you're a marketing person in the field at that race for the brand when the brand probably doesn't have personnel to send to an event because there's a lot of races on a weekend. And if you're going to a location in a geographic area, reaching their potential customers that they can't because they can't send anybody else, well, now you're adding value. If you're representing a food or beverage company, hand out samples. If you're representing an insurance provider or let's say, any kind of service company, you know, collect leads and make people feel good about the brand. Mm-hmm. If you're representing a manufacturer, a hardware company, a tool company, show their products in use. Show that you're using Makita power tools in the pits while you're, you're wrenching on the car. If you're representing a, a Target or a Walmart or a retailer, try to drive foot traffic to their store by signing autographs. That's what Ron Katz does. Is he, he spends more time at Napa Auto Parts stores than he does races getting mm-hmm. people into those stores so that hopefully they go buy something. Ron's going to be on the panel next week. He's one of our panelists. And uh, we have one of the sessions is called Successful Activations. Ron's going to tell us, you know, what does he do to drive value for Napa? It's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's not what it used to be just a few years ago. Things have changed, and we're hopefully going to cover most of that on Tuesday. Without giving away too much before the summit, what would you think – because in my opinion, in motorsports, it's kind of like we're all kind of pulling from the same from the same area. So oh, I, yeah. how would you shift your focus <laughs> to find, you know, different companies that might not necessarily market in motorsports? What would what would what would be the allure for them? What would drive them? You know? Yeah. And JP, you nailed it on the head. It's one thing that I really try to hit home with everybody is we got to stop slicing the pie thinner and thinner. If someone already is sponsored by a brand, do not call that brand. All you're doing is taking money away from another racer. You're not adding to the pool of motorsports. 
So everybody sending decks and proposals to Monster Energy or, <laughs> you know, Nap Auto Parts is wasting their time because they're already vested. Find the companies that are in motorsports and then send or try to start a relationship with their competitors who are not yet in motorsports. Find the companies not in racing who have competitors in racing uh, successfully, and then maybe they'll want to be in racing. You know, we, we do surveys after all of the summits. We've done four summits now. This will be our fifth. And I do post-summit reviews and, and um, surveys just to see, you know, what did you like? What did you not like? Did you learn something? What would you like to learn more of? The number one question is networking. How do I meet new sponsors? Um, how do I meet that person to send them a deck or a proposal? So we have a whole session on networking. One of my friends, Andre Jackson, who I think I've known him since like 2005, back when I was in core, maybe 2007, uh, Andre was working for Don Brown at TRD, Toyota, and they were a sponsor of, of Off-Road Short Course. So Andre's, and, and I interviewed Andre at the Long Beach Grand Prix years back for my book on how to network and how to meet new sponsors. I love some of his tips and tricks. They're so, what, what a lot of drivers don't realize is marketing directors are so accessible if you know who they are and how to reach them and approach them, but it's not going to be from going to PRI or SEMA and handing out a deck. That's not what you want to do. Those decks get thrown away. You, you know, some tricks are you can go to a trade show and the day before the actual event when they're setting up, that's a great time to meet people. Or mm-hmm. they ask for help them break down their booth. Now you're adding value by helping them. There's a lot of little things you can do. And another thing is never send a deck if they ask for a proposal or vice versa. There's a big difference between decks and proposals. A deck it, it attracts attention and it draws a sponsor into your program. So a deck can be colorful. It can be eye candy. It can be something that makes them interested in your program so they want to join it. A proposal, on the other hand, is usually a word document. It's what you're going to do for them in exchange for what they're going to do for you. And there's a big difference. So what's, one of the things that we also talk about is explaining the difference, how to create a deck that's compelling, how to write a proposal that sells. And a lot of, almost every driver I know, I say, goes out and they think that a deck and a proposal are the same document and they use it as a document. And the really right. bad ones now have three options, A, B, and C, gold, silver, bronze, <laughs> you know, three price points. It's not about how much you want to charge them. It's how much value do you have for that brand that they would otherwise be using that marketing money to spend on some other type of marketing. What can you do as a substitute? And that's where the value comes in. So those are the things that we try to teach. It's, and, and not really teach. It's not so much of a lesson, but it's more of a sharing experiences of what worked for us and what helped me sell a lot of sponsorships over the years. Because honestly, when I got started, I was making decks that had gold, silver, bronze, ABC, three price <laughs> goals, you know. 50,000, 100,000, 250,000. And it never worked. I never got a call back. Now I know why. Yeah. So it it's... took many years doing this to realize. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's it. It's, it's really um, valuable because I think what a lot of people don't understand is the process. They, they think that, hey, I'll just send a cold email or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll send this tiered level of sponsorship and and then here comes the money and and what i say to some people is be careful about being sponsored um it's it's a job now you have real responsibilities so you know you you know if you're a guy that goes to the track and then you know acts like a fool 
Um, you know, when your day is done and that, that is common knowledge, then guess what? I mean, those days are numbered for you as well. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to learn. Hopefully if you're listening to this and you like, it's not resonating to you how valuable Alex is and in terms of his, uh, just knowledge base on how to get this done, then I don't know if I can help you. But and Alex probably can't help you either. But if you are listening to this and you go, oh, wait a second, there's real definitions here of different things, decks, proposals, um, you know, value add, ROI, things of that nature, then then you got to go. You, you just got to sign up for this, um, the drag racing sponsorship summit and Alex t- tell us what's the best way for our listeners to to check that out register and and make themselves more valuable there are two URLs it's dragracingsummit.com or dragracingsponsorshipsummit.com this whichever is easier to remember drag racing summit it doesn't imply the sponsorships it's a little shorter maybe easier to remember so they both forward to an information page that talks about the sessions and the brands that are going to be speaking. And it's, by the way, it's not just Megan and myself. Uh, we are just hosting the summit. We're going to have um, marketing directors from Canaan Filters, from JEGS, NGK, Permatex, uh, Toyota, um, Tom Bogner, who ran the Lucas Oil Motorsports program for like 20 years. I worked with Tom for about a decade when I was at Lucas. Tony Yorkman, who I've known since 2005, he ran uh K&N's marketing program forever i think until about last year now he's with he works for von gittin team rtr but steve williams from K&N is going to be on and we're going to we're going to have several drivers who represent brands tell us what they do for those brands megan's going to talk about how she creates value for ngk spark plugs and menards destiny spurlock's going to talk about um, her new sponsor with bp fuels and how she creates value for bmw motorcycles amber franklin redline oil uh, we have Chris Bishop, who has now six Seafoam cars. Six. Seafoam hmm. is a very big play right now in, in drag racing, which is super cool. Travis Shoemake, who represents the Sheep Stores, first openly gay drag racer. And, you know, that's value. He's, he's bringing new eyeballs into the sport. And then, of course, Ron, who I mentioned. Um, hmm. I got a call with Ron in about an hour. And he's been racing for Napa forever. So I'm going to say, Ron, you know, why does Napa Auto Parts renew you all these years for decades? What is it? And he'll explain how he creates value for them. Hopefully we can learn from that and apply it to new sponsors. But again, like you had said earlier, JP, it's, it's, you don't want to keep slicing that pie thinner and thinner, asking the current sponsors for more money because that does not help motorsports grow. Our industry is only going to grow if we have new money coming in from the outside. And if it comes in, to the drivers and not to the sanctioning bodies of the series. What I don't like to see is big money. You know, Mellow Yellow comes in and throws all the money at NHRA or now NASCAR. And it doesn't trickle down as much as you think it would. I'd rather see it build no. from the ground up, from mm-hmm. the drivers up, than from a big series down. So trying to help drivers at the grassroots level is what we're doing. Um, learning, teaching them what actually has value. You know, in, in social media, it's no longer about creating a post and putting it on your social media. We had at the uh, off-road racing summit, which I hosted from Monster Energy a few weeks ago, uh, I had Phil Kaufman on who runs their digital asset management system. And at Monster, if you're a sponsored driver and they have like over 300 that have to do this, uh, just in motorsports, 
when they go to an event, they have to upload their content into Monster's digital portal, categorize it according to one of nine different categorizations, and label it so that others at Monster Energy can access that content, whether it's a photo or a mm -hmm. video. And then they access that content and use it in things like marketing or point of purchase displays mm -hmm. or their own social media. So when, when a driver's at an event collecting images, you have to now start thinking, not just what are you going to use that image for on your social media, but what is my sponsor going to use that image for in their mm -hmm. marketing? Is it going to go into a product catalog? Is it going to go online? Is it going to go on their social? And, and that's, it's just what, it's the way things are evolving, but it's what not everybody yet understands. So yeah, no, we get into that and we try to try to help racers and, you know, see where the value is for brands that might have money to spend in racing. Right. It's extremely valuable, extremely valuable for anybody that's trying to make their program a little bit better and needs money to yeah. do so. Yeah. I was going to yeah, just which, piggyback. Which is everybody. Um, Sorry. Just piggybacking off of what Rex said is um, if, if you're listening to this and you don't, you should probably be taking notes on just what he's saying now. But if you don't go sign up for this, and I can tell you from personal experience, you will get a ton of good information out of it. So I just wanted to kind of reinforce well, thank that you. point. Yep. I thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, you know, I'm trying to retire. This is my this is like the last thing I'm going to do before I'm out. But I do want to <laughs> share the information and the knowledge because it, it took me 20 years to learn this stuff, man. It really did. Right. I did it wrong. Well, I didn't do it wrong the first 10 years. I did it the old way. And as things transitioned into the new economy, the new digital economy that we're in, my children are growing up in a very different world than what I grew up in because half of their world is digital. Now I'm understanding that that's the direction that marketing is going. And some of these new companies have very young marketing directors that don't even know the old way that we used to do it. So if we're reaching out to them, trying to show them, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to race, you know, 12 races next year, and I'm going to be at the track, and I'm going to reach so many people on, at, at the event, and so many may be on television, and so many in the media. These, these new marketing directors are looking at you like you're crazy because they don't even know what that means. In the digital world, you can reach anybody, anytime, anywhere in the world as long as they open that door. And if you come knocking with an email or a direct message, what gets them to open the door? Well, if they know you and they trust you, if your intangible brand equity value is high enough, maybe they'll open that email. You know, we all get junk emails and messages all day long from thousands of different sources. How often do we open them and then act on it? Never. But if you get an email from a friend or let's say a, a well-known racer, driver, who's not trying to sell you something, but trying to teach you something and help you and, and give you something that's valuable, informative, usually you'll open that. And that's the new direction that we're going in. It's, uh, if you can create content that adds value, compelling, unique, personal value to those looking at it, that's how you're going to get sponsored. And that's where the money will come from, because brands will pay for that. They you know, we call drivers brand ambassadors for a reason. You're an ambassador for that brand to a public who trusts what that driver's saying. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's just so valuable. We know how much these cars cost to run, and uh, becoming a brand ambassador and and getting, you know, forming partnerships that work for both uh, the media companies and then and you as drivers. I mean, it's just so so valuable. So folks do that go and check out alex dryler his um his website is www.alex a-l-e-x striler 
S T R I L E R.com and go to the summits page there and sign up. It is next Tuesday, March 28th. Um, it, it's incredibly valuable. Um, you're going to learn a lot and hopefully it makes you a bunch of cash. So, uh, Alex, thanks so much for coming on and, and helping us, uh, just giving us a little taste of what, uh, the new world of marketing is all about. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invite, Rex. It's super cool. JP, I love the podcast. You guys do a great job and you got a very loyal audience, you know, so it's because your content is strong and that adds value. So keep it up. You guys are doing great. Thank you so much. Guys, girls, that was the great Alex Stryler. You can learn a bunch from him um, if you need him at, uh, at his Drag Race Summit coming up next week, March 28th. All right, as we hit the mile per hour cone, JP, we got to talk about what can only be described as... And an amazing turnout uh, for the NHRA season opener at the Gator Nationals. What we understand is that it was sold out. It was the largest attended drag race in the modern era anyway to start the season. And man, NHRA kicked it off in a big, big way down in Gainesville. I mean, give them a lot of credit, should we? Oh yeah, they they deserve all the kudos for that. They they had a huge weekend and uh, you know sold out stands, which is always good. So that means people still want to get out and enjoy some good old drag racing. Well, longtime listeners of the show will remember that I said that COVID was actually going to be a good thing for our sport. I mean, it's not a good thing for people who battled with that personally. I understand that, and we certainly have lost a few. Uh, great ones with COVID. But what it did do is it said, hey, instead of sitting inside, would you like to go outside and get your entertainment? And I think drag racing is perfectly aligned for that. Um, I made my call, you know, I, I took the bat just like Babe Ruth did, and I pointed over the fence a long time ago. And so I'd like to take a little victory lap if I can right now here, JP. I mean, uh, I mean, can I? Can I do that? Or where are we at with all absolutely, that? Absolutely. <laughs> I would definitely take the victory lap because you called the shot and, and basically knocked the cover off of it. <laughs> I will say that mostly, in my opinion, what I think the NHRA is really leaning heavy on, and man, they give them some credit, Right now, we're looking at the most stacked top fuel drivers maybe in the history of our sport. I mean, that if you look at the top fuel drivers and the, and the people that are contending week in and week out, I think it's as deep as it's ever been. I mean, it can, I think we can make that argument. I think if you're talking about the Britney Forces, Antron Brown, Austin Prock, Justin Ashley, those two guys are, I mean, you know, in young in their career, but heavy hitters already. Mike Salinas comes out and gets a win first, you know, uh, to start the season. Steve Torrance, we know what he can do. Clay Milliken, uh, Sean Langdon, Doug Coletta. I mean, and we haven't even gotten now to Leah Pruitt and Tony Schumacher. I mean, yeah, we're talking about a legit. 10, 10 deep every week that can win. 
like that. That can win from from any position. I mean, you got just having Schumacher back out there full time is going to be. I mean, everybody knows what he's capable of. Uh, like you said, Antron always a threat to win. All, all of those guys always a threat to win. Um, and I think we've we've kind of been at least there was an era of top fuel, at least that I can I can remember where there were only a handful of guys that were going to go get it done. I mean, and and I'm. I say this in an affectionate way. I mean, but like, you know, when Larry Dixon was going at it, you knew he was going to be at or near the finals every weekend, right? I mean, yeah. he, there were some some funded cars that were really well. Now you're talking about a deep field. You're talking about really well-funded cars. And, you know, I'll pick out uh, Leah Pruitt because, um, you know, we – uh, you know she's obviously very well funded. She's got the the whole crew behind her, and and you know obviously hubs is um, as good as they come from that standpoint. But you know like where is she at? I mean she's she's not number one every week, and and but obviously a threat to win it. So I mean it's it's pretty yeah. interesting in terms of what the top fuel group looks like right now. I think it's maybe as good as it's ever been in the history of NHRA. Yeah, and and the good thing is you don't. It's not just you know. It's not just the normal handful of teams that you see. You know, it's not just for Schumacher, Coletta. It's it's some other other independent mm-hmm. teams, and, and they're they seem to have their stuff together and be pretty well funded and can run good too. So that's always good for the sport because that lets you know it's it's growing. Um, where you know you could arguably say at one point it was a little stagnant. I mean, yeah, you're talking about. You're, you're talking about Trip Tatum, who can, you know, has a, a great, uh, you know, a, a great car sitting there. Doesn't always run because, you know, he he's working on funding, um, you know. But when he gets that man, like there's another guy, uh, Krista Baldwin, been in the winner circle. Scott Palmer, we know that guy is as talented a guy as there is and can do it in anything he gets. He gets in, uh, so. You know, you're talking about uh, T.J. Izzo. You know, guys that have done it before, and those aren't even you know the top five. And talking about Brittany and Antron and uh, Proc and Torrance and Clay and Sean. I mean, like, we're talking about dudes here, man, that are well funded, have great teams, and really, it makes it fun. I mean, it really does make it fun uh, because you just don't know who's going to end up in the winner. So, kind of like the NCAA tournament right now, JP. I mean, we're getting upsets. We're getting Princeton getting dubs. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's 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 crazy right now, and I don't even I don't know. I didn't even fill out a bracket. But if you if you filled out a bracket this year, I don't even know how you, <laughs> it, you just throw all that in the trash. I guess right, <laughs> right. I mean, but it is it literally is the NHRA gives you the NCAA tournament madness in top fuel every single weekend. They're they're running, and I I could not love it more. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. JP, let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 112. And bam, there it is. There's the wind light. And JP, the sweet, sweet sound of our girl, Laura Brannigan and Gloria. Man, so good. Every time. It's 
so good. It's so good. Um, for those of you that don't know why we play Gloria at the end of every episode, go back, listen to episode number 11. You're going to love it. The Out of the Groove is amazing. Um, so go do that. And... Um, and uh, also, um, go thank and check out uh, the guest we had on this week, McKenna Kitterman. Getting it done in Top Dragster in the World Series of Pro Mod was awesome. She was great. Wasn't she, JP? I thought, I mean, just a really yeah. pro in terms of an interview that way. Nicely done. And then Alex Stryler. Uh, that marketing and, man, uh, advertising. I mean, he's, he's so savvy. He's so savvy with how... You know, in order to help, um, you know, racers and that stuff. He's got that summit coming up. I think very valuable. I think it's, it, I, don't, I can't remember what he's priced it at, but it's it's in terms of pricing and value, you get a lot out of it for the cost. I remember that. Yeah, for the, the amount of money that you spend, you get, you get a ton of information. And if you're looking to be racing and, and trying to get funded or whatever, um, it's definitely worth the investment. Yeah, it's incredibly cheap is what it is um, for the knowledge base that you get. So, yeah, go check out Alex Stryler and his Drag Racing Series Marketing and Sponsorship Summit. Um, that's coming up on March 28th. Also, guys, girls, can you leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud? That would really, really help. If you can leave a review for our podcast, it helps in terms of the algorithms. We don't exactly know why. We don't know why that is, but we just know that it does. So if you could help us out, you can say anything. It really doesn't matter what, I mean, JP, what should they say? What should they say? Like, just they should type. say, listen, the Fast Brackets podcast is the best drag racing <laughs> podcast in the world. Matter of fact, not even the world, in the universe. Just, we're taking this intergalactic. So if you can leave that for a review, that will really help us out. Um, yeah, yeah. Just put just put Pitbull's got nothing on the Fast Brackets podcast. He's worldwide. We're intergalactic. That's intergalactic. All, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, the point of matter, all of that doesn't matter. Just say something. The <laughs> algorithms love it. Uh, we appreciate you helping do that. But uh, guys, girls, uh, I hope you enjoyed episode number 112. Keep the rubber side down. And travel safe. back in town back in indy it was a long run we went down there to south georgia's motorsports park and then out to the bradenton for the world series of pro mod what a trip oh my god some great racing it was good stuff and a great episode today chris we had two great guests on i mean on top of our trip and all the drag racing we've been able to cover um in the last several weeks we had two great 
um, guests on. Now, I will tell you this. Um, the only thing that's missing that would have been a little better trip was if we would have been able to bring an alligator back. And I did want to do that. I, I will tell you this. There was a... There was an alligator that was in the pond at our Airbnb, and I was about ready to go wrestle him. And that sucker made it out alive because we just didn't have time for me to go get him. Oh, no, 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 no. I saw that gator. I saw him out there. He was there. I saw him. I'm still not 100% convinced that he was out there. And if he was, he's a sissy because I was looking for him the whole time, and we couldn't find him. But when we come back to Florida, tell the gators, best believe we're coming up out of there with three pairs of gator boots. The, the gator's a punk. He went and hid the second I went to go get him. He went and hid. They want no part of us. Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing. <laughs> 